I just got back from a, a vacation, but uh, I got a spider bite. And oh, so God. I had to go to the hospital because it's supposed to look like that. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, I got bit by something and it's pretty nasty. But other than that, I had some vacation time up north, north of North Bay at a place called Martin River. And uh, very beautiful, very fun time. Very, I need a vacation from my vacation, I think, though. So, yeah, it's good. Lots of fishing. It's awesome. awesome. What were you fishing for? Yeah. Well, uh, out there, we, we were going for walleye. We didn't get any walleye, but I got two huge smallmouth bass, uh, biggest I've ever caught. Uh, we caught some pike. Um, uh, there was some uh, perch. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, no, uh, no walleye. We didn't get any walleye this time. So, but we were hunting for them. A couple yeah. small ones. They weren't worth keeping. So. Yeah. My son-in-law yeah. is, uh, in all the tournaments. He, um, oh, really? yeah, he, that's his, his big thing. He, uh, my daughter knows that she's kind of a widow from, uh, the beginning of the summer, right into the fall. And then, uh, <laughs> and she gets her husband back again, but he gets into yeah. where you, you know, you pay several hundred dollars to get into the tournament and you've got to be ranked in order to get in. And then um, I thought the one, I think last weekend or two weekends ago is over a hundred thousand dollars in prize money. The Ooh, you know, Some of wow. them are like a brand new truck and a new bass boat, but uh Yeah. That's beyond so, my pay grade. So, so he 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 obviously his wife still lets him do it. So he must do okay in them and and stuff. I'm hoping. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's a firefighter too, so he has a lot of time off, a lot of stress. I mean, it's a stressful yeah. job, but um, yeah. So Steve, um, I knew you were part of Steve or. Teen Challenge, not Steve Challenge. Um, I could ask your wife about the Steve Challenge, but uh, um, how how did you get there? That's really interesting. I like to hear a little more of that story. So, so how much time do we have? I can go right back to the beginning, or how I ended up in Renfrew. Either, either or. So we have a, an hour. We okay. keep about an hour and a bit. Terry, what yeah. what did you have in mind? For length? No. Oh, for, for, well, I was just thinking like I first met you. I well, I was in France and Senegal, 
And then you came to EBC while I was there. And when I came back, everyone's like, you got to meet Steve. You guys are going to get along. Like, <laughs> and, and then yeah. you came over to my house because I was having everyone over and basically got your whole story there. But yeah, like, and we both right away were just like, yeah, we both like to have fun and joke around and everything. So we got on fine. And yeah, yeah it's, I think it's worth getting your sort of as much of your testimony as we can. And then up to like yes. what's currently going on with you. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, you know, I'll go back to the beginning. I was raised by a single mom. Uh, be, be, you know, my parents split up before I was born and uh, she did the best she could to raise me. We, we were kind of in uh, geared to income housing in London, Ontario uh, when I was eight years old, I moved to the small town of Norwich, Ontario, south of Woodstock there. And that's where I was asked to start to attend a church uh, with, with a friend of mine that I rode the school bus with. And uh, through that, that got my mother coming back to the Lord. And we got involved with a family. And at the age of nine, I accepted Christ originally. I was uh, singing in a, at a Baptist church church in the choir at age 10 and baptized in water at 11 started joining youth group this is where we switched over to a pentecostal church and i was i was doing youth group i was doing crusaders i was getting a lot of the lord there and i you know i i had read the bible twice through by the age of 15 and was also starting to become the drummer of a worship team at a pentecostal church and, uh, but then, you know, at the age of 16, I began to drift. Uh, 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 my first relationship I had with a, a young Christian girl, her family moved away and me being an adolescent became mad at God. And I want, my mother was a very staunch, strict Christian mother who really tried to shelter me away from what life was like on the other side of the fence. And it wasn't peer pressure to me. Uh, maybe part of it was a little bit of anger at God because he took my girlfriend and moved her and her family away. You know, I was how adolescents think, right? And I began binge drinking at age 16. And uh, by, by age 17, my mother had taken me to see a counselor about my drinking. And I hadn't even acknowledged that I started doing uh, marijuana and pr marijuana products plus LSD and stuff like that at this time between the age of 17 and 18. And according to the screening test, I was an alcoholic and I, I laughed it off. And the counselor looked at my mom and said, I can't do anything with Steve until he acknowledges there's an issue. Back, I didn't think there was an issue. It wasn't peer pressure to me. It was, it, 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 I wasn't trying to medicate my feelings per se. It was more, I think, of a curiosity. And I just seemed to like everything that came my way. And by age 18, I'm now into cocaine and doing all sorts of things. And I became a very wild partier. I was very popular in my small high school. Uh, you know, I was very good athletically, all of that. And I was the local home hardware boy. I worked for home hardware through my whole high school years. So I got to know a lot of the town. And then by the time my mother remarried, I graduated high school. I was voted valedictorian of my high school. I used to do theater work, all of this stuff. 
And uh, yet I still was a very wild, wild teenager when it came to the drinking and drugging. I uh, moved in with my dad when I was 19 years of age and was living back in the city of London, Ontario. Over the next couple of years, I built a career uh, working at a cemetery and got involved in a crowd after I had met a young lady. We started a family. I was now raising two daughters. And uh, I garnered the nickname Graveyard because nobody in this uh, death metal community, this style of music called death metal, no, they were fascinated with my job and they could never remember the name Steve. So they'd go, you're that graveyard guy, right? And graveyard became my nickname. And it's still something I go by today. I ride Harleys today and, and my road name is graveyard because for some reason, nobody could ever remember the name Steve. So uh, my, the, the problem was that the mother of my daughters and I, we both like to party a lot. And I unintentionally became a drug dealer. I, I started to, you know, friends back home going, Hey, can you get this, this, or this? And I'm like, yeah, I can get that. And everything just started to steamroll where friends of mine coming to Western university or Fanshawe college and stuff like that. I began to just supply and just, it was, it was not an intentional thing. It just kind of happened. And we raised our daughters in a home that was fueled by drugs and alcohol. And after a friend of mine uh, got out of prison, he'd done a few years and uh, he, we were doing some cocaine on my bar and he's like, Hey bro, it ain't real till you feel the steel. And he was talking about injecting cocaine and I tried it and it changed the course of my life. Not that I was on a very healthy course to begin with, but this just tanked it because the mother of my daughters who was trying to tell me not to do it, seen how much I liked it. And she asked, can I try it? And I thought, how can I be a hypocrite? And so I allowed her to try it. I introduced her to the lifestyle and it really within six months to a year, our relationship was destroyed. It was very toxic. It was, it just, we didn't trust each other. It it became violent physically and especially verbally. And my daughter's seen things that were, were very unhealthy. And I wanted to stay in the relationship because I always promised if I ever start a family, I'll never leave because I grew up without a dad. And then one day my daughter was hearing us, her, her parents fight. And she just said, I really just want to move away. And I said, what, you don't want to live with daddy anymore? She says, no, daddy, I love you, but I can't stand the fighting anymore. And in that moment, I realized the toxic relationship was impacting my kids. So we split up and, uh, it was a very broken moment. I would say that was my first when I came home to an empty, cleared out house. I'm like, okay, here I am at rock bottom. I can only go up from here. But then I had people moving into my house that were very unhealthy to, to be having roommates with, right? Uh, dr drinking and drugging constantly. It was starting to impact my career. So then I met a young lady on a blind date who was a very sober person and uh, we ended up getting engaged and I moved to a little town outside of Tilsonburg, Ontario called Delmer. And, uh, you know, by age 30, I had, uh, we, we had a paid for home. 
We had two good careers. I had, you know, we had two trucks, two dogs, a cat. You know, I had a big, huge fish aquarium, a fish pond, everything you would think you would like materialistically, I had. And, uh, but I still kept partying hard. I quit dealing because I, you know, I quit drug dealing. Eventually it was done. In 2003, I was training to become a professional wrestler. It's something I've always wanted to do since I was a little kid. I mean, I got long hair because of a wrestler named Brett Hitman Hart from years ago. And he was my, my hero, my, you know, he was the icon in my life and stuff. And so I was training for professional wrestling, still partying hard. And I even that year had two opportunities to join a couple of 1% motorcycle clubs, outlaw motorcycle clubs, and turned it down because I knew what their perspective on drug abuse was. And I was still injecting cocaine on weekends and drinking and partying hard and on October 11th, 2003, I just completed my training. I was to wrestle my first match two weeks later, and I got on my Harley to go and pick up cocaine to celebrate. And I'd had a lot to drink with the promoter of that uh, particular wrestling uh, promotion. And my trainer was begging me to stay. And, and I said, no, I'm going to come back. We're going to party all night. And 15 minutes later, I collided with a car in Woodstock and... They had to amputate my leg. And from there, I just was so broken. I would hide my pain with humor. And then, of course, the, the, the drugging took off because I wasn't working. Boredom's the devil's playground. You got insurance money coming at you in hundreds of thousands of dollars. And it was very easy to get drowned into addiction because I ran out of veins to puncture. So I got hooked on crack cocaine very bad. In 2006, my mother came to do a mini intervention, told me about Teen Challenge. I wanted nothing to do with it. You see, at this point, I had become a very, very, I was an avid atheist going back to my early 20s. I walked away completely from my faith. I mocked God. I mocked people who believed in God. I did not believe that there was a God at all. I would mock my mother to her face when she would try and talk to me about Jesus. And I wanted nothing to do with it, but I knew I needed help. So I went to her church to hear the Teen Challenge Choir, and I wasn't in good shape. I kept nodding off, and my mother was weeping, hearing these testimonies of these men that were being redeemed by Christ. And she's rubbing my soaking wet back because I'm just sweating profusely. And she just wanted me to hear these stories of victory because she heard me say, I've got nothing left. I've got no hope. And after that service, she said, hold on, I got to go and do something. And I didn't find out till years later, but my mother ran up to these two teen challenge guys said, would you please go and talk to my son? He's in that back room. And these two teen challenge guys came in and I thought, oh, here we go. And Marty and John shared some of their stories with me. And I was very touched that their lives mirrored my own. It was, it was just powerful because they were similar. We were similar in age. We ran with motorcycle clubs, running drugs, guns, you name it. Our, our lives were very mirrored. And it, it was, it was something that sparked 
something in me, but I still wanted nothing to do with God. And they even said, you know, Steve, can we, can we pray with you? I said, well, you can pray for me. I don't believe in God anymore. And, you know, they, they put their hands on me and started praying for me just outside the church doors. And I'm looking up and down the street to make sure friends didn't drive by and see this happening to me. Right. But, uh, they prayed for me and I just went home that day and got right back into the old lifestyle again. And in December, 2006, a couple months later, we went for a tour of teen challenge in London. And, uh, my mother was determined to get me into this program. She did all the, the legwork for me. And she, she, you know, uh, she spearheaded this tour and we went for the tour and halfway through the tour, Marty and John came running up to me and they're like, Steve, 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 we've been praying for you every day. Uh, you know, are you coming into the program? And I'm still prideful. And I'm like, well, I don't think I need 12 months, but I'm here to check it out type of thing. But in that moment, what convinced me I needed to apply was, wasn't the fact that Marty and John prayed for me every day. Cause you know, but to me, that's what Christians do. It was the fact they remembered my name. See, I went by graveyard graveyard became my identity and they remembered the name Steve. People doing drugs in my own home never even knew my name was Steve. So got my name on the list just to go home, relapse over Christmas. And on January 4th my, of 2007, my mother came and found me. She was very angry. I'd been doing crack cocaine for days. And she was angry and said, get your jacket on. We got to go to the hospital. Your granddaughter's been born. And I want to tell you guys, walking into that hospital room and seeing the disappointment in my daughter's faces and seeing this beautiful little girl in a bassinet, you think, here's the motivational kick in the pants you need to go and get yourself straight. And in that moment, I can honestly say to everyone, I wanted to die more than ever before because I felt like my family deserved so much better than the pathetic human being that I had become. And uh, I'm proud to say many months later, I, I came to a point in May of 2007 that um, I came to a very low point in my life where I actually wanted to take human life. I felt so betrayed by these people that I wanted to take human life and I set out a plan to try and do this. And I called my mother in the middle of the night, screaming into the phone how much I hated my life, how much I was just so tired and I just wanted to sleep. I was trying to let my mom, I said, Ma, I, you know, I'm, I'm going to go and shoot these people and I'm not coming home. And I didn't want to come out and tell her I was going to take my own life. But, you know, uh, I was basically, it was a goodbye phone call. And crying on the other end of the phone, my mother said, Steve, I didn't know how to get a hold of you, but Teen Challenge called today and they have a bed available for you tomorrow. I'd been on the waiting list since December and this is now May. And I said, mom, I said, I'm tired. I've been waiting for months. I just wanna sleep and I hung up the phone. But instead of getting on my Harley with an illegitimate, uh, actually a stolen license plate and uh, no, no legal license or to drive with and no insurance, 
to go and pick up a gun and go and commit this horrendous crime that I wanted to do against these people that had violated me. I found myself riding down the 401 highway during one of the wickedest windstorms I'd ever been in. And if I could look through spiritual eyes, I believe there was a war going on around me. I mean, I watched garbage blow out of the ditch. And I remember it very, like, it's so clear in my mind. And yet I was still very intoxicated from being up for days. Instead of going to do what I wanted to do, I ended up riding home to my mother's and about four o'clock in the morning, she opened the door crying and I was crying and she hugged me, I think tighter than she'd ever hugged me before. And she put me to bed and I slept for 18 hours during that day, that following day, my mom called Teen Challenge and said, Steve isn't feeling very well. Can he, can he come tomorrow? Because she was desperate to keep that bed for me. And they said yes. And she was so relieved. And we woke up that morning to go. And I said, Mom, I don't think we should go because I'm going to fail the drug tests. You see, I'd failed a drug test to try and get into another program. And I thought, you know, failing the drug test should qualify me for the program. But I wasn't understanding the difference between treatment and detox. It's very important that people understand that in the world of recovery when they're trying to start that journey. And um, she says, oh, let's just go anyways. And we got to Teen Challenge and I'm in the room and my language is vulgar and belligerent and it's like, Steve, we don't use that language here. And I'm like, whatever, bud, you know, and he's got his head down. He, he's doing the paperwork for me to come in. And he says, okay, mom, you can go now. And I grabbed her wrist and slammed the table and demanded a drug test because I knew I would fail it. And uh, he said, we don't do that here. And on that note, my mother grabbed her purse, ripped her wrist out from under my hand and ran out the door. And yelled at her, I'm only doing four months. And she said, I'll see you then. And I sat there dumbfounded that here I am in this 12-month Christian program. And it was awesome because this is when God began to destroy me. He destroyed me so he could rebuild me fresh. Every church teen challenge visited that they took us to, I had a connection with as a child some way as a teenager and I would say to the staff oh yeah this happened and and I go what a coincidence and they'd go coincidence Steve really and I'd laugh at them because I knew what they were trying to get at and uh finally I uh was broken and on June 2nd 2007 I tapped a pastor on the shoulder after he'd preached a sermon and I said I think I need Jesus in my life And he said, there's no time like the present. And I knelt with him at the front of the church and I I rededicated my life to Christ. And from there, you know, understanding Teen Challenge gave me that understanding of the freedom of forgiveness, to forgive others, to accept forgiveness. And the hardest of all is to forgive ourselves, you know, for the things we've done, for the pain we caused to all all of our loved ones. And uh, God began a journey in me. I joined the Teen Challenge Choir. I began to tour as their drummer and became one of their front spokespersons. And I graduated the following May. I graduated Teen Challenge. And God hip-checked me into going back six months later to do an internship. So I lived there for two years of my life and then had a one-year staff contract as the groundskeeper there. But what I didn't understand was 
setting boundaries. I had some relapse. I had uh, just struggles with burnout. I went through a really heavy burnout. And when they said, Steve, we're not going to renew your contract when it's done, I was actually relieved. And But yet I stayed connected to Teen Challenge as a volunteer. But I didn't know what God wanted me to do. I didn't have a home church. I was kind of jumping around all over. And I stepped away from the choir for a while to try and get myself right. And uh, uh, in uh, September of 2011, a car pulled out in front of me. And I hit the car pretty hard. And it crushed my hand. And they had to amputate part of my finger. And they had to fuse my thumb. And they had pins all through my hand. And I was like, God, what more? What more can I go through here? What do, what do you want from me? And through that, I met a lady at Physio who invited me to church over and over and over again. And I started getting back to church in Tilsonburg. And, and then driving home from church one day, had gospel music playing and and I heard a very clear voice beside me. People may think I'm crazy for this, but I know what I heard audibly was, Stephen, I want you to go to Bible college. And I looked at the empty seat and I said, I am way too old for that. And that calm, peaceful voice said, Moses was twice your age when I called him. And that's when I knew it was the Lord. And I just went, this is nuts. And I argued, I didn't hear anything else, but I kept throwing arguments into the air back at God. Going, this is crazy. I don't want to do this. Within three weeks, I'd done a complete 180 and I started searching for Bible colleges and Emmanuel Bible College is the college I ended up going to. So at age 42, I'm moving into dorm, you know, with these, these young men, uh, they put me in the senior dorm uh, and I'm in there with these young men that were younger than my daughters. And that's when I'd heard about Carrie and they said, you got to meet Carrie. Our friend Carrie's in France right now, but he'll be back soon. You got to meet this guy. You'll get along with him really good. And I remember meeting Carrie and we just, like he said, we, we clicked right away. And, uh, you know, we, we got some good sense of humor with each other and stuff. And I've enjoyed his company and I've enjoyed his friendship. And even got to meet you, Pastor Stan, a few times, especially through Josh Wilhelm or Big Show, as we called him. You know, uh, that big guy. We had so much fun. I had so much fun on my journey at Emmanuel, just learning, learning and absorbing. And I'm realizing that God was still pounding the lumps out of, out of the clay that I was and molding me into the man he, he wanted me to be. And I, I believe he'll still be pounding the lumps out of me until the day he calls me home. And that's when I'll have that perfect mold of me that he wants. But uh you know, in the meantime, it, I, I've had, to, I've learned to set boundaries. I learned a lot through my experience with Teen Challenge. And as I'm finishing my courses, I, I was going for my bachelor's in youth ministry and counseling and going to Bible college. I thought that you had to, you were going to be a pulpit preacher, a youth pastor, or a missionary. I didn't realize there were so many different avenues of ministry and I realized in my first semester that I felt God speak to me again, saying, I didn't pull you out of all that you've been through to just because I thought I don't want to be a pulpit pastor because there's too much pressure there on teaching the word of God. And I didn't want to be a missionary because my health is like declining more and more every year, you know, and, and uh, so I must have to be a youth pastor. 
But God told me, he says, I didn't pull you from all of that just to talk with youth. And that's when I realized he was calling me to work in the field of addictions in a form of ministry. And to honestly, I didn't think I would go back and work for Teen Challenge because I was already volunteering for them. Every Sunday, I was out, out, out on the road, drumming, being a spokesperson, going out, sharing my testimony, spreading seeds of hope to others. That's what, honestly, I thought my life was going to look like in the, in the field of ministry that God called me to until he called me to Emmanuel Bible College. And uh, there I met my wife, Rachel, and we got married while I was going to school. Uh, we were going to school, and we, uh, we had our first son, Cullen, during that time. And it was during the summer of 2016 where I, a friend of mine posted about the Ottawa Valley Teen Challenge. And it said, coming 2017. And this beautiful property I'm at right now, 197 acres of property, was donated to Teen Challenge the year I was a student in 2007. This is already nine years later, so it's been a long journey to get the center off the ground. And um, I responded, oh, I graduate in 2017. And he's like, you'd be perfect. That planted the seeds where I felt God saying, I'm sending you to be a center director. And I'm like, I don't want to be a center director, man. I don't want this guy. I, that's too much pressure. There's too much responsibility. I always tried to shock responsibility. I really did. I always tried to stay away from leadership roles where I was the top person. I was always content with being number two or number three, but I never wanted to be that person. But God was calling me to that. And I connected with this, the CEO back then, Dan Murray. And, you know, we had a lunch meeting together in Kitchener there. And I shared for 25 minutes why I felt God was calling me to this. And He'd completed his lunch and I'd barely taken a step out of mine. And he just looked at me and said, yeah, Steve, for the last six months, I've been thinking Ottawa Teen Challenge and Steve Prendergast. And the rest was history. It just seemed to be lining up that I was, I was hearing God's calling to come up here. And uh, when we graduated, my wife and I graduated from EBC in, in 2017, April. And I started working for Teen Challenge in London, working in the intake department because they weren't ready to send me up here yet. And uh, we ended up moving up here in April of 2018. And I remember sitting here going, okay, because Teen Challenge will not go into debt to start a program anymore. They used to, and the recession back in 09 nearly financially crippled Teen Challenge nationally. So they did, did three years of financial stabilization before they went on this rapid national capital campaigns to expand our bedding from 135 beds to about 200 beds uh, uh, across Canada. So uh, here, here I am, a development officer is my current title right now. As I sit here in my office and I had no idea, they said, Steve, you're not going to be alone. We're going to be there. We're going to have your back. And they have the whole time. And I remember sitting here in my office, right in this, this chair, in this spot, in tears in this following September in 2017 or 2018, I mean. And uh, I was in tears thinking, God, why did you send me? I am so ill-equipped 
for for this purpose. I'm like, I, I, you, you got the wrong guy here. And right away, I heard the voice. It's only been a couple of times I've heard that audible voice, but here I am. And I hear this voice say, Steve, who's really raising the funds? And I'm in tears. I'm like, you are, Lord. And that's when he challenged me. He said, so when are you going to get out of the boat and start walking on some water with me? And I can tell you guys right now, I felt the pressure lift. We had a capital campaign where we had $1.6 to raise. They had to raise a certain amount to get me and Rachel and, and my boys up here. And, uh, and I felt the pressure lift. So when I got up here, I had to raise $1,150,000. And I'm like, okay, Lord, we're just going to keep going. And I just, we just kept plowing and introducing ourselves, going out into the community and getting to know people, business owners, especially churches. I've talked to pastors who have never heard about Teen Challenge or even the cross and the switchblade. And I'm like, you, really? But that's the fact. Some people have not heard about us before. So we were plowing unplowed fields here. And um, my son, Caden, was born up here. So Rachel and I now have two boys. Cullen is five and Caden is going to be two next month. And in 2020, it was probably one of the most trying years for me prior to meeting Christ and getting sober. Uh, my dad went to go and be with the Lord. Uh, I got to pray with my dad, all of that. And he left and he, he went to go be with the Lord in January of, of 2020. And then COVID hits, boom, shuts down all our opportunities to go out into churches and try and raise funds and spread the word. And then we got my di the diagnosis of my little boy. My boy, Caden, was diagnosed with Duchenne muscular dystrophy. And when we realized that this is a terminal disease, he's missing the 63rd exon gene, a protein-producing gene for the muscles. And so now I realized my son has a life expectancy of 25 years of age which has come a long way since 25 years ago uh, from late teens to early twenties. Now the average age is 25 and my world was crushed. I was filled with everything from rage to brokenness. You throw that into a blender. That's what I was feeling. I was just so broken. And I'm like, God, why would, would this happen? And we went into the fall and then in November of 2020, we realized Rachel was the carrier. It's usually 75% of Duchenne boys, one in 5,000 boys are born with it. It's passed through the mother. So Rachel carried the burden that she gave this. And so I said, what does this mean for Caden? And the doctor literally said, flip a coin. And I went 50-50. Three weeks later in November, at the end of November 30th, 2020, we found out Caden also has Duchenne. And again, those feelings of extreme brokenness and rage came in. Excuse me. And it was something my wife and I really had to push through together. Our church came around us. The community has come around us. And I felt this thing. When, when, we, when Caden was diagnosed, we started a thing called Cullen's Cause, which raises money for Jesse's journey. So now I'm like, 
I'm like, God, I'm already fighting a war against addiction. And now you've got me with this, putting this upon my heart to, to raise money for Jesse's journey, which is a charity that raises money for, for research for Duchenne. And so why wouldn't we do something like this? And we now call it Cullen and Caden's cause. And it's hard. Like I believe in a God that can raise the dead, you know, cure the leper, heal the blind. I believe in all of that. So my prayers, I go to God every day. Lord, you know, I, I would love a miracle. I'd love you to provide a cure. But your will be done and not mine. Because my prayer for my sons have been, Lord, I want my boys to grow up and do things for your kingdom that will blow my mind. Well, when this happened to Cullen and then, then I find out about Caden, I'm like, God, like their lives, like what? I, I wanted them to do things for your kingdom. How are they going to do that? And I was reminded again through the Holy Spirit that, you know, God knows what it's like to watch a son suffer and die at a young age. And I was also reminded that he changed the face of the world with three years worth of ministry. And he changed history. Look at, look at what Jesus has done and how much more he, he could do so much through us too. And I do what I can by spreading the word against uh, addictions and Cullen and Caden's cause has raised over $30,000 in its first year for Jesse's journey for research. And a, very, and a friend of mine had to remind me when I was telling him about, well, I've been going to God, like I want my boys' lives to make an impact in this world. And they said, Stephen, look, look at what, what Cullen's life has already done. Jesse's Journey used Cullen's story in last September uh, to, to do a, a national uh, mail-out campaign, and it came back with the highest grossing uh, numbers from September, late September to December 30th. It raised over $120,000 and it's not Cullen's story, but you know, it was Cullen's story on it. But, you know, I mean, like my boy's life is making an impact in a positive way and he doesn't even realize he has this disease yet. So how much more, like I had just sat back and watched, okay, it's not the way I envisioned it to look like my job from here is to, make sure my boys grow up to know the Lord because I didn't grow up, you know, I didn't grow my daughters up in that. They grew up knowing a dad was an atheist, you know? So there I am. And then through all this turmoil, I watched, we, we were down to $450,000 to raise from September, 2020. We did a motorcycle run called a freedom ride, which teen challenge does nationally. And from there, that success, things started to roll and we're watching the money come in. And then by mid December, like I was going through the brokenness of Caden being now diagnosed. I'm like, Lord, I, we need a victory here. How can you give us a victory? And we got the numbers back from what we needed. $276,000 came in on a Friday night. So Friday morning, 450,000. By Friday night, we were at 276,000, which just made my heart jump. Monday morning, I came in, I had an email from a pledge that brought us down to $56,000 left to raise and the excitement. And from there, we watched 10,000, 20,000, 5,000, all this come rolling in. 
And on January 30th of this year, we hit our capital campaign target date of $1.6 million to get this going. So vocationally, God, I just watched God move mountains during the turmoil in my personal life and the agony, agonizing over my boy's condition, but trusting the Lord and through those prayers, I'm just trusting God's will will be done because if he allows this life of Duchenne to go for my boys, I'm trusting that their lives are going to make a huge impact for his kingdom. And while we get ready to ramp up this beautiful property we have here just outside of Renfrew, Ontario, we're going to maximize at 16 beds, but we're going to start with six beds plus two phase fours, which are graduates of our program. So eight men will, will be maxed out at right now. And we're working through the COVID situation while trying to open, watching a fourth wave slowly creep into Canada. And I'm just tr trusting God, your timing. But in the meantime, please send the perfect staff that we need to run this ministry with you as I'm ready, like I, I'm transitioning and potentially going to be center director here. It's not 100% uh, yet, but it's looking like I'm going to be center director here. And uh, I'm just going through the whole human resources interview process now with that. But I, that's what God called me up here to do. And uh, I'm just excited that, you know, from 2018 to be where we are, three, almost three and a half years it's taken. I've had to really trust God's timing. I thought we were going to move. I would move up here and be open in six months, you know, uh, and, uh, but God's timing is always perfect. And the first sermon I want to go back to guys is the first sermon I heard in Teen Challenge was from a Baptist bishop from Georgia. He had a Roman Catholic collar on. I've never seen that before. And he was the guest speaker in a Pentecostal church. And he just preached a sermon that all I remember from it is God will reimburse you for your lost years with interest. Based on that scripture in Joel 2 about, you know, replenishing what the locusts have stolen. And I just want to tell anybody out there who feels so lost and so hopeless is God will reimburse you for your lost years with interest. Some of my reimbursements is um, I got to pray with my dad before he passed. The relationship with my mother's husband, I nearly fractured their marriage because of my addiction. They've been married over 30 years. And, you know, it was about two summers ago he actually hugged me goodbye. We had him up at our home. Um, that's another one. God blessed Rachel and I with a beautiful home on a lake. We, we asked God for waterfront if we could, but waterfront up here is outrageously expensive. He provided a home for us. We needed a down payment and God came through 15 minutes after walking through the home. God came through with the down payment. We have a beautiful little home and I got to hug my stepdad. I used to call him my mother's husband. He's my stepdad. And it's taken me many years to earn integrity with him. But he's watching how God has transformed my life. I was driving up the 417 back to the center one day after a meeting. And I called my son-in-law just to see how my grandkids were doing. And he said, Grampy, we got some news for you. I said, what's that? Azariah accepted Jesus into his heart. And as the tears started forming down my cheeks, I said, that's awesome. 
They said, we got more news for you. I said, what's that? They said, Olivia, that beautiful little baby who was in a bassinet is now 14 years old. Uh, she was 12 then, but she said, Olivia is getting baptized this Sunday. And man, I, I just, my heart just jumped for joy. My younger daughter, who's now 27, uh, she, she accepted Christ just prior to me going to EBC when we did the Alpha program together. God bless the Alpha program. And uh, her walk isn't perfect, but I can pray with her anytime I call. My older daughter, unfortunately, is a full-fledged fentanyl addict, homeless in the city of London, Ontario. And I have walked the streets to try and find her when I've been down there. And I throw that at the Lord every day. I'm like, thank you, Lord, for writing the testimony you're going to give her when she gets out of her addiction. Please sustain her through this and get her out of there alive and let her get to know you. And from what I've understood, I believe she accepted Christ going to church when I was engaged to Laura years ago. And uh, she would go to church across the street with her mother, with, with her mother, my former mother-in-law. And so I'm praying and trusting that she is in God's hands. Every day I go there because it's agonizing to watch. But in the meantime, my grandkids following the Lord, my, my son-in-law, I still call him my son-in-law, following the Lord. You know, uh, just I just can't express enough how much the blessings are not just materialistically. God blessed me with the biggest Harley I've ever owned in my life, a, a big 2007 Road King 1600 CC. It's awesome. You know, I love riding and God provided all of this. I didn't ride from 2011 when my last accident happened until I got up here in 2018. God knows the, the, the treasures in our hearts. And I've gotten to know a lot of the motorcycle community who know me and who now know Teen Challenge and what we're about, Christian and non-Christian bikers alike. And I'm able to just do my best to shine the lights. There are times where I think I let God down going, I could have done a better job representing you there. You know, but in the meantime, we're ramping up program here. And I'm, I'm, we're, we're asking God to prepare the hearts of the men that are going to come here to really want change and to know that true change. And Teen Challenge believes that Jesus is the catalyst for change. Jesus is the catalyst for change in people's lives. You know, Teen Challenge doesn't take government funding, yet it started with one center in Brooklyn, New York, to overall 100, uh, or 1,400 centers in 125 different countries. If you do the math for 63 years, that's like a center opening up every two weeks. You can't tell me God's not in this. You know, if Teen Challenge was recognized globally, as one rehab center for drugs and alcohol, we would be the largest rehab center provider for beds worldwide. We would be the, you know, if we were recognized that way, but Teen Challenge spread from that one center, you know? And so we're just trusting and believing that God's gonna use this beautiful property right behind me here to transform men's lives where men are gonna, you know, get their lives back and, and find freedom and forgiveness, and that mothers are gonna get their sons back, wives are gonna get their husbands back, and 
children are going to get their daddies back. That's what we want. We want to, we want to grow a big foundation, a deep foundation rooted in Christ so that when they leave to go back into the world, they will have that much more success in life to find that joy. Like I tried to chase to try and find that joy through the poke of a needle at the bottom of a bottle or at the end of a crack pipe that, you know, you just keep chasing that, trying to find that joy, trying to find that peace. And you get spinning in this world of addiction, but there is hope. There absolutely is hope. And I believe 100% that the only way you're going to find that true joy is, is through Jesus Christ. So I just threw a lot at you guys and fall asleep. So there you go. Practically speaking, Steve, from beginning the time a guy enters intake to when he's on his own, what, what's that cost? Like what, what is the investment in a man's life? So teen challenge, uh, the initial charge for teen challenge students are uh, men and women is $1,100, a thousand for the program, a hundred dollar application fee. We will not, turn away anyone who just can't afford it. We will work with them somehow in some way when we bring them in. It costs Teen Challenge approximately $55,000 to put each client through the program. We fundraise. We have student sponsorships. We have center sponsorships. We have fundraising events. We do outreaches. We have ministry team opportunities, all of that. I've been blessed through Teen Challenge to travel the country and promote this wonderful ministry across Canada nine different times with tours and events. And I've been very blessed by that. And, uh, you know, God does not promise an easy life. Many people, I've watched people get so frustrated. They go, why would God allow that? They turn away from their faith. Like God doesn't promise an easy life. What he promises is he will never leave us nor forsake us. And through our weaknesses, he makes us stronger. It's through his strength. And I've, I've witnessed that time and time again. There are times like, Lord, was it even worth it going to that particular event or something? And then you find out about a testimony two years later. It's been really wonderful being a seed thrower, which is what I call myself. I throw out seeds of hope. And I trust that God will land those seeds where they need to be and that they will, they will grow. He will provide the rain and the sunlight and everything to grow in that person's life where the hope will, will grow. And uh, God uses this ministry to transform lives. So, yeah, we, we are $1,100 for the year, which is the most affordable out-of-pocket program because we don't have OHIP pro- provided, right? So that's $1,100. Wow. So. What's the uh, success rate, like in comparison to general intake places or rehabs? So I remember hearing about that when you guys came to my church like yeah. 15 years ago or more. And it was, I remember it being quite a big difference. In 1969, there was the doctor of the brand new product called methadone to help get heroin addicts weaned off of, of heroin. She had all the major, major universities do a study. And what they found was secular run programs run about five to 15% success rate. 
And this doctor noted in her notes, what is this teen challenge? They're running 75 to 85% success rate. She actually documented it as um, the Jesus cause, I believe is what she wrote it down as or something. Um, Jesus factor. So it was the Jesus factor that she documented it as. Legend or rumor has it she became a Christian because of that. I don't know if that's true. I'd like to believe it, but uh, and embellish it a bit. But that's what I what I had heard. Over the years, Teen Challenge has actually grown so much. There's so many more people coming in. A study like that costs a lot of money, and they haven't done one in a long time. I believe they probably will soon because of the fentanyl pandemic that we're experiencing. Um, Teen Challenge Canada did their own study on people five years because they do the study with people that graduate programs five years later. And from the graduates we found uh, and communicated with, we found that we're running 65% success rate five years later, which is still huge compared to many, many other programs. To me, it's still one of the most successful programs in the world, if not the most successful program to get people clean. So, well, Steve, an hour is certainly not enough to contain all that God is doing. Well, we just kind of touched on what God has done. And yeah. really, uh, I think probably by the, maybe after Christmas, next spring, I'd love to have you come back and hear the next steps. Um. My last, my last question to you before I say goodbye would be if, if Steve today could go back to that 10, 14-year-old kid drumming in a church, what would he say to him? I've, I've often thought I'd like to smack me. <laughs> no. Uh, to go back to that particular point where I, you know, I knew a lot of scripture as a 15-year-old. I could rip off scripture out of my brain better then than I can now. And, uh, I, but I carried God too much in my head, not enough of him in my heart. And, you know, I've connected with people I used to go to youth group with that followed the Lord throughout all their lives. And I would love to go back to say, you know, get, get him more in your heart. You've got them up here in your head. Get them more in your heart. Because if you don't, your life is going to be full of a lot of pain and turmoil, not just for yourself, but for your, your loved ones, people closest to you. You know, and uh, there, there's been many times I've dreamt where I wish I could just go back at certain moments in my life and redirect me, sometimes the hard way. But, uh, uh, you know, 15 year old kid I was passionately following the Lord you know and and I made poor choices you know it all comes down to choice uh, but you know if held, had I'd have held on to that faith and not given up my belief in God you know I I would love to see what my life would have turned out to be like but you know what's beautiful is when I was a 12 year old boy and I'll, I'll end with this quickly is I was at a camp where the, the guest preacher was there and I was coming out of the bathrooms. He was coming in and he stops me and he grabs me by the head and he just starts praying over me. And he tilts my head back when he's done praying. He says, God has something very special in mind for you. 
And that was it. And I remember running back to my mother and telling my mother that. And I asked my mother a couple of years ago, I said, mom, what kept you, you know, continuing to pray for me for 20 years that I would come back to the Lord, even when I mocked you to your face. And she reminded me of that story. She reminded, and she kept throwing that at the cross every day. You promised my son, you were going to do something special through his life. And I don't think I'm a special person in any way. I just think I'm a very blessed person who has accepted the grace of God and the forgiveness of God. And I just promised the Lord, Lord, Rachel and I promised this at EBC, Lord, we will go anywhere in the world you want us to go, but send us to the place where we can make the biggest impact for your kingdom. And here we are just outside of Renfrew, Ontario. And I just trust many lives are going to be touched through this program. I want to run a program where men want to stay and finish and experience the grace of God. Steve, uh, where should we send people? What website? So for can, Team Challenge and for the Jesse's Journey? Okay. Um, sorry, I don't have the Jesse's Journey one there, but I can give you something. But www teenchallenge.ca. You can okay. go there, get a lot of information on there. You're now going to be able to ask questions on the website and get answers back when you type it in and stuff. Uh, but www.teenchallenge.ca. If people want a little seven minute video of my testimony that Teen Challenge did a story on, they did a very good job. You can go to www.teenchallenge.ca forward slash Stevens hyphen story. And there are other graduate stories you can even find on the website as well. Very well done stories, powerful testimonies. They just did a great job in doing it. And it's been able to impact many lives. You know, I, I am now a trained addictions counselor. I did my addictions training over and above my bachelor's degree. So here I am, uh, a man in recovery of 14 years 20 years of, of drinking and drugging, and, and now I'm a trained addictions counselor about to run a center for Teen Challenge, and it's been an amazing journey. You know, I, I remember when I was walking the halls of Teen Challenge, it, the former CEO, George Glover, who built Teen Challenge Canada, he said, Steve, I see you running your own program someday for Teen Challenge. I said, George, you need to do your own program, and here I for the past three and a half years up here to get this beautiful place up and running. And I can hardly wait to see families reunited and souls saved. Thank you for joining us today, Steve. Thank you listeners for uh, joining us again and another, uh, as we meet some interesting people today, you've met in a very ordinary man with an extraordinary God. And uh, we invite you to connect with him further. And so remember, don't end your day without a word with God. And we'll see you again in our next podcast. Thanks, Steve. Thanks for having me. It's been an awesome journey. I look forward to coming back again. Yeah. Awesome. Take care. Right. If you're in Take town, care. come and see us. Like, if you're in this area, we'd love to, I'd love to take you out for lunch and just uh, hang out a bit. Okay. I would love that. If if you're looking for it, you know, Google Cullen and Caden's cause and Jesse's journey, and that'll bring you to the link. Okay. Yeah. Thank you All guys. Right. God, you, man. Thanks for the opportunity. Yeah. Bye.